Amen. Well, we had a really exciting week this week, and I don't know if you can tell, but I haven't had like Red Bulls this morning or even like extra shots of coffee. I've just been really, really excited about what the Lord's been doing and the great doors that he's been opening up for us as a church. Last Monday, I had the great privilege of meeting with the mayor of Irvine, Stephen Choi, uh, who come to find out we had some mutual friends uh, as a great man uh, of Korean descent who had uh, a doctor by the name of Dr. Duke Kim, who was my doctor when I was younger, and who also was the pastor of a Korean fellowship at Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa. So I was like, no way, you know, and so I had a great conversation uh, with him, uh, introducing, you know, myself to him, saying, hey, you know, we pastor a church here, and we've just made it through one year. How can we better serve the community and the city? And it was a phenomenal meeting. So if you can uh, remember, continue to pray for our civic leaders, and that God would give them wisdom, because we want to we want to continue to support the men of God that the Lord has raised up in office. But then also, um, I had asked him about how can we get involved with serving our police department and, uh, you know, our fire department and, uh, you know, with the chaplaincy programs or things like that. And so he gets his, his cell phone, his iPhone, and, uh, you know, you're a cool mayor if you have an iPhone 6 Plus, you know, and so he gets that. And he calls the police chief on the cell phone and says, yeah, hey, I'm here with Pastor Beeler and he's looking to, you know, serve the police department. Uh, can you talk to him? And so he puts me on to the chief and I'm like... Hey, Chief, how you doing? Uh, and I had a great conversation with him. And so we're going to be meeting up here in a couple weeks. And uh, I, 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 it was really cool. He sent me an email and he said, we're so happy that you're serving in the city and we're praying that God blesses you and your family and your church. And so the Lord's just opening up great doors for us to be able to, to, to minister to our city, the people that are in our city, and to support the leaders in our, in our community. And it just so happened that that Monday, uh, March 9th, uh, was the Monday before this Friday where I was able able to attend the mayor's prayer breakfast where there are uh, a bunch of uh, Christian mayors and even uh, uh, people running for Senate, business leaders, church leaders were gathered together for breakfast and was able to connect again. And so I was just like, wow, Lord, that's so cool that you've opened up an effective door for us to minister. So be encouraged by that because as we made it through our first year, you know, the Lord's going to continue to open up greater doors for us to tell people about Jesus. And that's something that I feel like is such a blessing. And so I've been really excited uh, knowing that uh, our labor's not in vain, is it? You know, it's like we, 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 we show up week in and week out. You guys are here opening your, your Bibles, learning, you're worshiping, you're being equipped to do the work of the ministry, and the Lord is going to be calling upon us, you and me included, uh, to be involved with reaching people with the good news of Jesus. So I think that's a very, very cool thing, and uh, just keep that, you know, filed away and be praying for that uh, as well. So this morning's message is part three of a four-part series that we're doing through Acts chapter 20. So if you're hopping in today, and this is your first uh, uh, time with us, you can go and revisit the first two services that we had, the first two studies, uh, by going to our website, and they'll link you over to our, our channel on Vimeo. So if you have Apple TV or whatever, you can pull it up and watch it from your home, um, or you can go on the internet from your computer or your mobile device, and you can watch the, the previous two teachings and get caught up. But this third teaching is entitled, My Face No more. Now, my face no more is actually a quote from where we're going to be starting in Acts chapter 20, uh, verse 25. And let's read it together. You can read along. You don't have to read out loud. But it says, Paul writing, he says, And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. So, 
the title of this morning's message actually wasn't very creative. You're like, man, this is like a weird title. No, it's actually just a little excerpt from this verse, uh, 25. And this is actually a really sad statement that Paul makes here. The friends, the brothers, the sisters that knew Paul were never going to see him again. Now, let me ask you this question. Don't you like speaking face-to-face with people that you enjoy being around. Now, if you don't enjoy being around them, then face-to-face is like the last thing that you probably want to do. But for friends and family and people that you like communicating with, you know, you want to see them face-to-face. You know, if you've ever had to make a difficult phone call and you weren't looking forward to it, or maybe you had to address something that was difficult and you had the luxury of making a phone call, how happy were you when you got their voicemail instead of, you know, the live person? You were like immediately off the hook where I can just leave a voicemail, give them the bad news, never have to talk to them again, and then I move on with my life. But the other side of that coin is like spending time with people and seeing them face to face is a very, very special thing. I mean, have you ever said that, man, if I could only just get some face time with that person, if I could just talk to them face to face and and hang out with them? You know, FaceTime with people is a big deal. I mean, Apple so appropriately called their their video conferencing technology FaceTime. Right on your phone, face-to-face, almost, digitally, somewhat. You know, uh, this this vicarious FaceTime through the the Internet. I remember when Ruth and I were in our, our dating relationship, if you will. It was kind of difficult to date because I was in California and she was in Wales. But, uh, we, we talked on the phone all the time. And unfortunately, FaceTime wasn't invented yet. So we weren't able to like see each other face to face. And I remember being, man, I just want to see you. And you know, my wife is not unpleasant to look at. And so I was like, man, I just want to see you, uh, face to face. And, uh, It's one of those things with family and friends and people you care about. There's nothing like being in their presence. Sometimes we don't realize what a blessing friends and family are until they're gone. But what if, what if instead of us losing someone, we were the ones being lost? Like, we were the ones that were, because a lot of times we're like, oh, I lost so-and-so or my mom or my dad or a friend. But what if you were the friend or the mom or the dad or the brother that was on your way out. We were down to the final moments of our time with our loved ones. We were leaving and we would never see them again. Would you have regrets? Honestly, ask yourself that. If you were leaving and you weren't going to see your close friends and family anymore, it was your time to go, would you have regrets? Would you have done things differently? Would you have spent your time in another way? What if the final moments of our lives, God forbid, were right now? How would you feel? What if you were never going to see your husband or wife again? What if this was the last time that you were to see your kids? How and for what would you be remembered? Let me ask you that question again. How and for what would you be remembered? And upon thinking... On that question, are you satisfied with the answer to that question? For what? How will I be remembered? Listen to this. I find this absolutely so true. There are three major things that Christians regret at the end of their lives. I wish that I would have spent 
more time reading my Bible. This survey, I, I wish I would have spent more time reading my Bible. I wish that I would have spent more time doing things for the Lord. And you know what the next one was? I wish that I would have spent more time with my kids, with my family. This is for Christians. I wish that, you know, at the end of my life, what, man, I wish I would have jumped out of an airplane. No, that's not on it. I mean, that buckle list might have said, you know, such, but that, that doesn't even matter anymore. As I wish I would have spent more time in the Word of God. I wish I would have spent more time with my family. And I wish that I would have done things a little bit differently. Can you relate to that? Is that something that you feel like you can understand? And maybe you even sit here thinking, man, I wish I would have read my Bible more. I wish I would have done things a little bit differently. I know in my life, I had this weird quarter-life crisis. I called it a quarter-life crisis because I was like in my 20s. <laughs> you know, like mid-life crisis. This was like a quarter-life crisis right here. And I was sitting at a computer, and I had just got offered right out of college, which I, I interned. I was the first intern to get uh, this uh, from my, my university to get an internship, first student to get this internship at, at this real prestigious uh, consulting firm. And they, as an intern, were paying me so much money for just interning, it was unbelievable. But when they asked to hire me, they said, we'd like to hire you. Um, I, I thought, man, this is insane. I'm 22 years old, and uh, I, I have a great opportunity uh, to, to be set for life and to, and to have a, a great life and to have a great job. And so I'm sitting at the computer, and I thought, hmm, I'm a nice house. That'll be cool, right? Nice house, have its white, you know, picket fence around it, you know. I'll have a nice car. I'll get married, you know, have a nice wife. And, you know, I'll have my 2.5 kids, you know, or whatever the national average was, you know, at that time. And, you know, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be just great. And what ended up happening was I thought, man, you're going to die. And you're not going to do one single thing that lasted. You're not going to do one single thing that makes a difference. When people don't see your face anymore, that's the end of it. And, 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 and it's the way that it is in every area of this world. Whether you are like a business tycoon to a professional athlete who set all the records, the moment that you're gone, everything changes. Everything changes. So this morning, as we get into our study here, we're going to do something a little bit different. I want us, upon hearing these things, to take a few moments, just a few moments of quiet time and prayer. I want you to be in pairs of two, and I'm going to ask that you would just take some time and say, Lord, would you please help me have a heart that is after you. Would you please help me, Lord, to do things that matter and that last? And we're going to take a few moments of preparing our hearts through this time of prayer. And then we are going to return and finish our study through Acts chapter 20, verses 25 through 31, as we look at the type of legacy that we can live that lives on even after we're gone. 
So would you please just take a few moments, if you're with your spouse or whatever, uh, maybe you even want to say, I'm, I'm so thankful for you, or I'm so glad that I'm still here with you. But maybe reevaluate where you're at and what your, where your priorities are. And maybe if you came here by yourself this morning, you know, it's okay. Maybe introduce yourself to the person that's next to you and really maybe break outside of a comfort zone. And let's just pray and take some moments of being silent before the Lord and ask the Lord, say, Lord, help me to be involved. Help me to do what you've called me to do. And then we'll return to complete our study. Father, we come before you now this morning. And Lord, we ask God, that if we, as we have sat here, as we have, Lord, even the few things that were said this morning, Lord, that I feel I was so convicted by, Lord, personally in my life, I pray, Lord, that something would set in in our hearts, Lord, this morning that causes us to desire to be used by you. Lord, that we would desire, Lord, to be a part of something that lasts, Lord, to invest our time, Lord, to invest our lives to be used for the furtherance of your kingdom. Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us not to be caught up in the distractions of this world. Lord, in the deceitfulness of riches, Lord, the hunt for power and success, Lord, but rather we would say this morning unanimously, Lord, that we ask that you would use us in a way that is so great, Father, that you receive all the glory. And Lord, that our lives, Lord, after we are gone from this place, we continue, Lord, to impact others for the glory of God. Lord, for your glory. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If we were to leave this world today, would we say, yes, I have done what God has called me to do? If we were to leave today, would we be ready or would it be a time of great sorrow? Would we cry out saying, I wish I would have done things differently? If that question resonates within your heart today, then good. See, the Lord's speaking to you then. He is revealing things to you in your heart and in your mind. He's letting you know that there is something more. There is something greater that he wants you to do and to be a part of and to be able to live a life in such a way that it continues to impact others even after you're gone is the best type of life to live. Doing something that endures, doing something that makes a difference. Leave a legacy that lasts eternally. You might ask, well, how do we do such things? I feel in my heart, yes, I should. I prayed about it for a few moments here to, this morning. I, I want to be involved with something that has eternal value and lasts. Well, if you're taking notes this morning, the first thing that I would say is be gospel-centered. Be gospel-centered. In verse 25 of Acts 20, it says, Paul speaking, and indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Paul was known among the people he associated with as one who preached the kingdom of God, preached the gospel. Some people today are rather hilarious in that they talk about how much they tell people about Jesus and the gospel, but their closest friends don't even know they're a Christian. This is a problem. Under this first point, be gospel-centered, there are three things that I'd like to point out this morning as necessities for not having any of the common regrets that I mentioned earlier at the end of your life. 
Oh man, I wish I would have read more. I, I wish I would have served more. I wish I would have spent more time with my family. Well, the three things that we're going to look at this morning under being gospel-centered is A, the gospel in your personal life, B, the gospel in your family life, and C, the gospel in your public life. So let's look at the first one this morning, the gospel in your personal life. Paul had a personal reputation that substantiated his actions. His reputation, which may have preceded him in certain places, was substantiated by the way he acted amongst those people. He talked the talk. He walked the walk. He was a changed man. And we know this in Galatians chapter 1, verses 23 through 24. Paul writes to the church in Galatia and says, But they were hearing only that he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. When the gospel impacts us personally, there is a change. If you are not impacted personally by Jesus Christ, then you have not come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Just like if you were impacted by a huge semi out on the street and your life would be forever changed from that point, so is being impacted by the gospel, changing a person's life, seeing that what you were is not who you are now. And it says they glorified God and Paul because he said, I used to shut down churches, now I plant churches. How is that for a transformation? Some of you here this morning can identify with that, saying, yeah, I know how I used to be, and that's not who I am today. See, your personal life and your personal relationship with God is imperative for leaving a legacy. If I could have subtitled this, my face no more, it would have said, leaving a legacy that lasts. Leaving a legacy that lasts. Your personal life, your personal relationship with God is where that begins. In Matthew 15, verse 19, Jesus said, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Your relationship with the Lord is the main thing that will enable you and empower you to do something that has eternal significance. See, if there is something wrong with let's just say our vertical relationship with God, all of our horizontal, okay, side-by-side interpersonal relationships will falter and be affected. What kind of person are you? Or better asked, maybe, what kind of decisions do you make when no one is watching? Being gospel-centered in your personal life. The things you do during those private times of secret define your character. That's who you really are. But when your personal life is anchored in the gospel of Jesus, everything changes. In 1 John 4, verse 19, it says, We love Him because He first loved us. So when we're right with God, we will consequently be right with other people. How do I establish good relationships with others when my relationship with God is not where it should be? So I need to make sure that my personal private life is the same as it is in public. And I strengthen my relationship with God by reading the Bible and through prayer. So may it be our goal and our mission that our personal lives with Christ are priority, are foundational. You want to do something that lasts? Well, you need to do the first things first. 
If they're not going to see your face anymore, what will you be leaving them with? And if our heart is not right with God, we will not be equipped to leave something that lasts. So, number, or it's actually number one, being gospel-centered. And letter A, the gospel in your personal life. Letter B is the gospel in your family life. Now, for those, how many of you are married here today? Okay, how many of you have children? Okay, so when you're not right with God and... That happens from time to time. But when you're not right with God, you will consequently not be right with others. And the first people that notice that, guess who they are? Your family, your spouse, your children. See, when you get married, so you go from being that personal, you know, individual relationship with God. But then when you get married, I don't know if you realize this or not, you typically find out how selfish you are. How selfish, let me say that again, from the pulpit. When you get married, you find out how selfish you are. See, it's your schedule. Hey man, that's when I go work out. No, that's when I go work out. You know, or whatever that, no, it's like, wait a second. It's our schedules are blending. It's your way of doing things. Oh no, that's my way. No, I, I, I do this at that time, or I unwind, you know, during that, you know, hour. You know, whatever it might be. And then you merge those two schedules together, and the two ways of doing things, and, and, and you work through that, and then you have kids. Like some of you raised your hand and said, I have kids. And then at that point, once you have kids, you realize that you're no longer even on the schedule. It's not, hey, wait a second, where's my time? Sorry, man, that's gone, long gone. You're taking care of the needs of your children. See, the time that you spend with your spouse and your children is some of the most precious time you will ever have. But unfortunately, it's also the most taken for granted time, even with Christians and the church. We want to leave a legacy that lasts. It means we must be personally right with God. And if we're personally right with God, we'll be personally right with our spouse and with our children. If we're not right with God and we're not taking care of our things spiritually first, then that is going to spill over into our family. So the time that we have with our spouses and with our children is so valuable. But you couple that time with your family with the Lord and you hit the jackpot. Can you just hear a ching, ching? And you hit the jackpot family time and then spend that family time with the Lord. Pray with your wife and your children regularly. Not just over meals, but pray with each other. Pray for the things going on in your life. Make it a priority to go to church because parents, if we're not prioritizing going to church and spiritual things, our children will not either. That's just the unfortunate truth. It can't be the do as I say, not as I do. Our children, our spouses will learn by example and they'll see what's truly important to us by where we invest our time. Read the Bible with your spouse. Read the Bible with your kids. Spend time before they go to bed or in the morning. Okay, the verse of the day is Psalm 1. Or you know what? Let's read this Bible story. They have the free YouVersion Bible app for kids, which is amazing. I do that with Hudson or Ruth does that with Hudson every night. And it's a great way of learning the Bible. You can do that with your children. You're investing in them. Be known among your family as one who loves the Lord and is gospel-centered. This is who Paul was. So if our kids don't see us anymore and our spouses don't see us anymore, how will we be remembered? What will we leave them that will help them? Are we being a good witness of the gospel to our families? 
If we are, that is something that is a legacy that is going to last. And again, Paul wasn't do as I say, not as I do. He was known. And if our church, if us as Christians are focused on doing things that have spiritual value, then you can get to the end of your life and you won't say, man, I wish I would have read my Bible more. You can get to the end of your life and say, I, I wish that I, and you won't have to say, I wish I would have served more and volunteered, man. I wish I would have signed up for house groups. I wish I would have set up chairs. I wish I would have preached the gospel. I wish I would have done something like that that lasted. I wish I would have had more time with my family. Priorities. So, be gospel-centered. That's the, the heading. Be gospel-centered in your private life. Be gospel-centered in your family life. And now we see the gospel in your public life. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no, no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Innocent of all uh, the blood of, of man. What does that mean? Well, it's actually taken from Ezekiel 3 verse 18. God spoke to the prophet Ezekiel and said, When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his sin, but his blood I will require at your hand. This is a heavy responsibility. This type of responsibility applies to me too. So if people come in and they don't like what I have to say, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, hey man, I'm telling you what the Bible says because if I don't tell you what the Bible says, then God holds me accountable. And I don't want God saying, uh, Gary, can you come over here for a second? What in the world? You know? So we teach the Bible, we know what it says. But because Paul did not hold back any part of the counsel of God, he was considered innocent of the responsibility of the people he was to minister to. He would be remembered as one who told the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So guys, I'm hoping this morning that we change forever from this point. That we would start to have an eternal perspective and, 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 and be involved with things that last so that we leave a legacy. That we leave something that keeps going even when we're not directly connected to it. But because Paul was gospel-centered, it led him to be point number two, others-focused. Others-focused. In verse 28, it says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So what does Paul say here? Well, it's just what we covered. Take heed to yourselves. Watch yourself and your personal life. That's what he tells the leaders of the church. That's what he would say to parents who are shepherding their flock, their children. Husbands ministering to their first congregation, their wife, and or their kids. Watch yourself and your personal life, Paul tells them. Take heed to all the flock. Not only watch out for yourself, but watch out for those entrusted to you. Again, in context, Paul is speaking to the leaders of the church, responsible for shepherding the flock of God, being responsible for God's people that have been entrusted to them. But again, I think this principle applies to us in the family context as well. 
And the people in the church, they don't belong to the overseer, but to God. Even as our families don't belong to us, but they belong unto the Lord. We have been entrusted with children. We've been entrusted with a spouse to minister to, to protect, to encourage, and to strengthen. In 1 Corinthians 6.20, Paul writes to the church in Corinth and says, For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. As Christians, we're to glorify God in our body and in our spirit because they belong to God. And the overseers are to help us in that process. In verse 29, he says, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Paul knew that after he left them, that the only thing that they would have would be what he had left them. Does that make sense? Paul knew that after he left them, that the only thing they would have would be what he left them. What are we leaving for our family? What are we leaving for our friends? Have we impacted those? We have impacted enough to sustain them even when we're gone. Have we poured into somebody's life enough so that even if we're not there to hold their hands, so to speak, that they'll be able to walk uprightly. They'll be able to know what the truth is. Paul says that the reality is that bad people will infiltrate the church seeking to destroy it. That's why church leaders are to watch out for the people of God through solid Bible teaching and through something called common sense. Because people will try to oppose the work of the church and plot against the saving purposes and plans of God. I can tell you personally that God has spared our church in so many ways, but has raised up such great leaders that are concerned with the safety and well-being of the flock of God on all levels. To watch out. To oversee, not an authoritative place, but a place of an an authoritarian and, and you need to do this. And you have some churches called heavy shepherding where they are involved with every area of their life. That's not our responsibility and that's not the call of our church. But the Holy Spirit convicts people and moves and strengthens and, and, and speaks and gives wisdom to I know that the Lord has raised up great leaders and will continue to do so here in our church, but... Paul warns them, saying, watch out for yourself so that you can watch out for other people. And if you're being gospel-centered, that means you're being others-focused, even as Jesus Christ did not come to be served, but to serve. In verse 30, also among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch And remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. With concern and passion, Paul, being concerned with the well-being of those he knew, did not clock out, quote-unquote, from being gospel-centered and others-focused. Be like, you know, you see me at, you know, Ralph's, and it's 545 and I'm making a grocery run. 
I need to get some vegetables for our dinner that night. And they're like, oh, Pastor Garrett, how are you? Um, can you pray for me, please? I'm really having a hard time. And I'm like, no, actually, it's after five. Um, can you, you come back tomorrow? Actually, email, email the church, and then we'll set something up. I'm like, That's ridiculous. You know, that's not going to happen. Paul didn't clock out from being gospel-centered and others-focused, even though he was on his way out. Because sometimes we're like, man, I'm glad I'm out of this situation. Hey, good luck over there, guys. I'll be seeing you. No, we want to leave a legacy that lasts. We want to be gospel-centered in our private life, in our family life, in our public life. And being gospel-centered where people know, man, that guy speaks the truth. He's about the things of the Lord. That helps us to be others-focused. So there's self-centeredness out the window. We become more concerned with the people that we have been entrusted to us and those that need help than we are with our own situations. Leaving a legacy that lasts. Think of Pastor Chuck Smith as we close this morning from Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa and how he left a legacy that is being continued on throughout the world and even here this morning at Vision City Church. And he's almost been with the Lord two years. In October it will be. I learned the Bible from him. I served for nearly 10 years at that church watching Learning, studying. He did something that had eternal significance. See, what we do for the Lord, large or small, has eternal value. And when we are focused on the things that bring glory to God, and we have a perspective of investing ourselves in things that last, which is the service of the Lord, investing in His kingdom, and being used by Him, all of us that have done that and will do that, We'll leave this earth having no regrets. We'll say like Paul did, man, I've run my race. I've finished my course. I've fought the good fight. Now listen, we can all say like somebody asks you, hey, have you been reading your Bible enough? And usually the person that's not reading the Bible says, well, you can always read your Bible more. You know, like that's, that's the automatic thing. And this isn't what this is supposed to be. Well, you could always do something more with your family. Yeah, there's always something more. But I'm talking about Priorities in your personal life. Priorities in your family life. And how that plays out publicly. Leaving a legacy that lasts. If they don't see our faces anymore, what are the things that they're going to remember us by? And will it help them in their relationship with the Lord? May we be others focused. May we do things that last and have eternal value. And may we live our lives in such a way that it continues to impact people long after we're gone.